Parenthood is a time of so much change for you and your baby. A little reliable information can go a long way towards making this new life a good life. I'm Jessica Rolfe, and this is My New Life, a Love Every Podcast. While the science aligns on what's healthy for a baby's brain development, when it comes to how to care for our babies, there's a seemingly endless supply of competing perspectives. Parents are swimming in advice on sleep, feeding, and parenting philosophies. In this season of the podcast, we aim to provide a variety of curated perspectives so you can make informed choices for your family. Leaf through any Dr. Seuss or Shel Silverstein book, and you'll encounter lie after bold faced lie. Only in these fantasy realms, the lies are the product of a wildly creative imagination. There's good reason why children love these books. Their worlds are steeped in fantasy. For children, the line between make-believe and reality is hazy, and testing the boundary between the two is part of growing up. Children, like adults, lie. And they can learn to do so from the young age of two years old, according to the researchers. Today's guest has been examining lying and what it tells us about human cognition for over two decades. The man is so dedicated to his field of study, he has convinced some 5,000 children to lie to him. I'm speaking of Dr. Kong Lee, professor at the University of Toronto. Kong's lab studies suggest that at the age of two, about half of all children lie and half tell the truth. At four years old, 90% of children will lie, and then lying peaks at around age seven. We might think lying is bad, but evidence suggests that it is proof that executive functioning skills are developing in your child's brain. Lying is a sign of self-control. So rather than despair, Kong says to use them as teachable moments, but resist the urge to fall back in the Never Cry Wolf story. You'll find out why at the end of this episode. I started our conversation by asking Kong to explain the difference between lying and storytelling. Yeah, so the key ingredient or criteria, a key criterion for us to define a, a verbal statement to be a lie is whether, whether or not the child knows something they are, uh, he or she is telling is not true, but they are telling it with the intent to deceive the listener. And if your child knows something never happened, but uh, she's telling you, with the intention to convince you that that happened, then she actually is lying. So regardless of what, whether or not it's storytelling uh, through imagination or, uh, or lying in, in a simplest form, but as long as they have intent to distill kind of false beliefs into your mind, then it, it's lying. And then is there a question about a child's fantasy, sense of fantasy or imagination, where they're not actually intending to lie, but they just have an active imagination, and so they're doing this kind of storytelling, but again, they're not intending to deceive you. It's just what's going on in their brain in terms of their fantasy world. 
Yeah, oh, definitely. And the kids have very, like kids, particularly preschoolers, have vivid imaginations. And, uh, and they, in their mind, they create all sorts of non-existent worlds. And then they communicate these kind of the, what's happening in this world to you, to their friends, etc., etc. But they know very, very clearly, at least after three years of age, when they are talking about things that is really in the fantastical world versus something they want to convey about the reality. So one example is that there are actually quite a few kids in the world who have uh, imaginary friends, and then they go through all these routines to, to show to their parents their imaginary friends are around them. And they're not lying in that sense because they, they, they create this fantastical world and in which some of these friends are quite vivid to them. So, and, but they're not really lying to them. They're just telling you, you know, that kind of a world exists to them as far as they are concerned. But they are not trying to convince you uh, because when we tell lies, we typically have this intention not only to instill false beliefs into your mind, but also get you to do something for them. And for, for example, you know, when I broke my, my mom's favorite vase, when my mom asked me, you know, Kang, did you uh, break my, my vase? I, I would say no, so that I, I want to avoid being punished by her. Yes, and that makes a lot of sense. What you just said in that script, Kong, did you break my favorite vase? Even though you as a parent know that that is the case, should you actually ask your child that question and really trap them in a lie? Or should you just say, Kong, I see that you broke this vase. What should we do about it? How should you yes. handle it? No, you asked the excellent question. So the, so the most of the time when children lie, particularly when they lie at a very young age, is because they are confronted by an adult, in particular by their parents, who are authority figures, who have set the rules, and they know full well they have broken the rules. So, and then you put them in a corner they just cannot get out of, and they don't have the political power or physical strength to fight you off. So the only thing that, that can come to their mind is, hey, you know, I can move my lips and say something. My mom actually would back off. And kids actually figure this out very early on. And so that's what they resort to, to lying because parents are confronting them. So the, the key is don't put them in the corner. Even you know for well, you know, they, they have done that. And then number two is sometimes, interestingly, so in our conversation with parents, is kids will say, no, I didn't do it. And then they say, the parents say, no, no, I know you did it. You lied. And then the child will say, how do you know? And the parents will say, you, I know because you did such and such. Therefore, I know you, you told a lie. And the, the, what the parent is doing is teaching the child to lie better next time. So by telling them how you figure out their line. So let me give an example, which is related to your, your story uh, as well. So uh, a friend of mine, when she was uh, very young and, and she didn't want to brush her teeth. So when her, her mom asked her, did you bro brush your teeth? She said, I did. So what she did was before uh, the mom asked the question, you know, go brush your teeth. And she didn't want to brush her teeth. She went into the, the toilet and take out the toothbrush and brush the, the brush against the sink so to make the sound. Then she uh, 
came out and told uh, her mom that I, I, mom, you know, I, I brushed my teeth. And then her mom then said, no, you didn't, you lied. Then, of course, uh, you know, she was caught. And then she asked mom, you know, how did you know? She said, well, I checked your toothbrush. It's not wet. And then, so from then onward, she would just, you know, when she didn't want to, to, to brush her teeth, but she still want to lie, she just dipped the uh, toothbrush in, in the water. So basically now, you know, her, she learned to up the game, so to speak, about her ability to, to lie and lie convincingly to her mom. So is it a good idea to call our children out on their lie at all? Or should, oh, yes. how should we handle it? So you do have to call out on their lies, but don't tell them how you figure it out. That's number one. Number two is you really, really have to assure your child that it is okay to confess that they have their lied and you won't be angry about it. And uh, so this is something a lot of parents say to their kids. That is, if you tell me the truth, I won't be angry. But in reality, however, there's evidence to show that most parents actually break their own promise. So they actually become angry. Why should we confront children when they're lying? Because when you catch your children lying, this is actually something you should be thankful of. Because with time, it will be very difficult for you to know whether or not your child has lied. So once you catch your child lying at a very young age, you can use that as a teachable moment. Uh, so to talk about what is a lie and uh, what is our obligation to tell, tell the truth most of the time and uh, what are the negative uh, moral consequences or moral uh, implications of lying, such as losing trust, etc., etc. So you, you can use that as a teachable moment to talk about lying and truth-telling. The key, actually, is not about about getting the child out of this fight and flight kind of state. It's about the parents put themselves in a calm, emotional state so that the child can feel safe to disclose whatever happened. So most of the time, when we encounter situations of lying, it's because the transgression could be quite serious. It's not like taking cookies from cookie jars, but there's something else, like you know, the dad's car is being you know, car window is broken, or the child has done something very bad to the family pet and things like that. So, so parents really, really have to control their emotions so that they can deal with the situation rationally, not emotionally. So that's the key. Do you ever wonder how your child's development is tracking or ways you can help it along? What is the right amount of stimulation and what are the best ways to play? We are here to help you make the most of your time together. Love Every is a complete system of activities, toys, and information that comes at just the right time so you can feel confident you are giving your child the very best start. I'm going to give you a scenario that I'm hoping you can help me with. I've been through so many different lying scenarios as my children have grown. 
One of them is that my daughter would often say that she needed to go to the bathroom when she was three in the car. We were on a long car ride and she would say she had to go to the bathroom, but she would barely need to go. She just was bored of the drive. She wanted to stop, see what happens when she got out of the car. And so it became this kind of cry wolf situation where we didn't want to stop every you know 30 minutes for her, but mm-hmm. we also didn't want to have her have an accident. How would you recommend as a parent we deal with this situation? Well, if you actually know that's the case, why why wouldn't you tell as is? I think that this is something I find quite fascinating. Uh, when we human carry out conversations, we already figure something out and we don't want to point it out to people. Maybe just tell uh, your daughter, is that because, you know, do you really want to go to pee or, or is that you are bored? You want to stop. You want us to stop. If that's what you have figured out your, your daughter wants to do, maybe that's the conversation you should have is just to lay it out. But don't, don't kind of accuse each other of lying. Okay, Just say, is that what you want? Maybe she will be able to respond to you about her real wishes instead of, you know, uh, maybe she, you are right. She, really doesn't want to pee, but she she just got bored. That's a great one. Okay, I'm going to give you another one. This is good stuff. My child uh, goes to the bathroom. He's got his little step stool. He can wash his hands all on his own. He's so big. He comes out and I'm pretty positive he didn't wash his hands. Maybe he put some water over them, but definitely not with soap. So I would say, did you wash your hands? And he would say yes. And then I would ask him to come over and I would smell his hands and I would say, I didn't smell soap. And so I would send him back to wash his hands. What, how do you feel about that scenario? What should I have done differently? Uh, no, this is great. And you didn't say anything about the child's line. You didn't, you didn't confront him. So this is fantastic. There's something very interesting about adults' point of view and kids' point of view, for example, about washing hands. What you think about washing hand is very different from a child's point of view, what you mean by washing uh, uh, their hand. You know, so that this is a different in definitions, actually. So this actually happens all the time in many, many behaviors. A lot of disputes that parents have with their kids tend to come from the misunderstanding uh, of what each other means. And kids actually define lying very differently from what you define lying. Let me give an example. So if you say, hey, you know, um, let's go to McDonald's for dinner tonight. And then you change your mind. Your kids get excited. But something really big happened. You couldn't really go. And they say, hey, you know, I'm sorry we couldn't go to a McDonald's. And you know what? Your child actually thinks you have lied. So basically, when you make a promise, then you break your promise about something's going to happen in the future, they actually think you have lied. So they actually become very angry with it. So sometimes we do have to be very careful about situations like this. Is you know, is that because my child does not understand what I want him or her to do versus the child actually wants to deceive me? So the child has, you know, touched the word, go, has gone to the sink turn on the faucet, you know, wet it, uh, his, his hands. So uh, by his definition, he has done washing. The only difference is your definition of washing requires soap up the, the hands 
and then wash off the soap, right? So that's the part that's missing. So I think in this case, I would say, you know, the child is probably has not tried to deceive you. That's a great example. And what about white lies? When do children start to do white lies or these sort of cordial lies, something to just help somebody feel better? So kids start to tell white lies about three years of age, just about the time they tell lies to cover their own transgressions. But they are, most of the kids are less likely to tell them. So they are brutally honest. So when they receive a Christmas gift they don't like, and they will tell you to your face. If they don't tell you to your, your face, you can see their facial expressions or their postures. Uh, uh, and so, so you can tell very quickly they don't like the gift that you have given them. So, but by about six, seven years of age, and the most of the kids have learned to lie and to tell white lies, so to spare your feelings, to be polite. At the same time, you couldn't, you could barely tell they are actually lying. So, and then after that, they even can come up with a great reasons why they have, why they like your gifts. Let me give an example. So in our study, we, we want to study, you know, naturalistically how kids learn to tell white lies. We actually would help them, you know, doing things with us. And afterwards we say, well, you have done such a great job with us. I'm going to give you a gift. And then we give them a wrapped gift. But inside, it's a bar of soap. So a bar of white soap you can buy from a dollar store. And then they, when they open it up, and they, they 100, almost 100% of the kids will not like it. So And then some kids say, oh, no, this is a bar of soap. I don't like it. But some older kids, six, seven-year-olds, will say, oh, a bar of soap. I love it. We just run out of soap. So this is just perfect for us. And one of the kids even told us their, their mom actually collects soap, which turned out to be a lie in of itself. So, so kids actually even would tell elaborate white lies to spare another person's feelings after about six, seven years of age. So then those early lies, those early white lies, how do we explain, are those good? How do they differentiate between other lies? How do we handle this complexity with our little children? Yes. So, so for example, you know, the Christmas time is the best time actually for you to, to teach your kids about the difference between white lie and lies to conceal a transgression. Because sometimes we as adults also receive um, gifts we don't like. And then we sometimes tell the gift giver that we like it. And afterwards, in private, we, then we say we don't like it, sometimes with your child present. Or your child receives a gift that he or she doesn't like, they tell the truth about it. And then so you can use that as a teachable moment, not in front of the gift giver, of course. But, you know, you just when you come home, you can talk about this, you see, you know, so in this situation, what you should do uh, and why you're doing this. To explain that, and then using that moment also to make a distinction about things like when you get a gift you don't like, what you should do, and why you're doing it, and then when you have done something wrong, and then what you should do and why you should do it. So, so making that distinction it could be a good teachable moment. That's so interesting. It's kind of like in the same way that children learn please and thank you, they learn what kind of lies are okay by carefully watching their parents. Exactly, because kids actually do not know the distinction 
between lies to told to spare others' feelings versus lies to cover up their transgressions or for their own personal interests. They couldn't really tell the difference. So we need to kind of label them differently. That's why in our language, we call it fib, we call it white lies. So these are good vocabulary to use so that in in the child's mind, these are two different kind of concepts. And then how do we encourage truth-telling at home? Let's say we have a three or four or five-year-old at home. They're starting to lie more and more. How do we tune into them? Yes. So let me just tell you what kind of things will not work. So telling children these stories, uh, let's say about the, the crying wolf story doesn't work. Okay. The Pinocchio story doesn't work. These stories, we adults kind of constructed with the purpose of to scare children off telling lies. They don't work because you are conveying negative messages about, you know, if you lie, you're going to die and your nose is going to grow. You know, all sorts of bad things are going to happen to you. So that's not the way you teach kids uh, not to lie, to be honest. The story that works is actually... The story that that never happened—that's a George Washington story. So I don't. You must know what the George Washington story is. I, yes, yes. <laughs> but tell us. But tell us again for anybody okay, who so, doesn't know. Yeah, so, yeah. George Washington story is a very interesting story. So the, basically, it goes like this. So, so George Washington's father gave George Washington an axe, and uh, and George was uh, as a gift. And George Washington really likes the axe, and and one day and he used his axe to chop down. Uh, one one of his father's favorite cherry trees, and then his father found out and asked George Washington, "Who chopped down my favorite cherry tree?" George Washington said, "It is me, father. I chopped down the the cherry tree because I I cannot lie." And then what happened was that then George Washington's father said, "I would rather have a honest son than a thousand cherry trees." And that statement is very, very important. It conveys a positive message about, you know, if you tell the truth, you know, you'll be your your father would really appreciate it. And so, when we read George Washington stories to kids who have never heard this story before, they became more likely to tell the truth. And uh, so, when we told children stories about the, the boy who cried the wolf or Pinocchio story, kids didn't change their lying behavior at all. And then to to make sure it is a positive message that made children more likely to be honest, we actually changed the ending of the classic George Washington story. We we turned that into a negative one in which George Washington lied that there's no I didn't chop down the cherry tree, but he was his father found out and scolded uh, George Washington. And uh, when we change the ending of the story, children start to tell lies again. So, so you can tell that you know the positive message it would promote honesty, but negative messaging actually does not. It may even make it worse. So, when we want our kids to behave more morally, the stories we have to tell to promote moral behavior, positive moral behavior, is to talk about things positively. 
Dr. Kong, that is the best message for parenting ever because it really goes to the fact that when we feel good, we do better, right? When we feel bad, we do worse. It is just the most classic thing. I will say from my experience, when B, it was pee and then it was poop. She really felt poop when she was on these card trips from <laughs> three to four. And so we started telling her the story of the, you know, the wolf, but we joked that it was poop wolf. And we were like, are you calling poop wolf right now or not? And it did not help to tell her that story. If only you and I'd had this conversation earlier, I would have told her mm-hmm. the George Washington story and she would have stopped all those extra stops at uh, on, on road trips. So huge thank you so much for being with us today. It's just been wonderful talking to you. Thank you very much for your time. Here are my takeaways from the conversation with Dr. Kong Lee. Number one, lying is a sign of normal development in a child, evidence of increasing self-control. Number two, the difference between lying and storytelling is intent. Ask yourself, did your child's story intend to deceive you? Number three, avoid putting your child in a corner. Rather than asking, did you break that? Try, I see there's been an accident. Let's clean it up. Number four, if you know full well that your child is lying, use it as a teachable moment. Keep it casual and calm. Stay connected to your child when explaining why lying can be hurtful and honesty is a better choice. Number five, If you're going to use a fable, avoid negative outcomes like those in Never Quiet Wolf or Pinocchio. A better story would be something like George Washington's, where his father commends him for being truthful. Number six, talk regularly with your child about the benefits of building trust. Number seven, help your child differentiate between white lies or fibs and deceitful lies. Parents can model white lies as a way to protect another's feelings. You've been listening to My New Life. If you think this episode might be helpful to a fellow parent, please share. And if you'd like to learn more about the topics discussed in today's show, head over to loveevery.com. That's L-O-V-E-V-E-R-Y.com. I'm Jessica Rolfe. Thanks for listening.